created a, a fake profile of uh, someone on, a, on an online dating site. And uh, in creating that profile, she made sure that her creation had beauty that was skin deep, uh, but her ugliness went all the way to the bone. Instead of uploading a real picture of herself, uh, she used uh, the photo of a, a friend who was a professional model. And uh, rather than put down factual information about herself, you know, since she's creating a profile, uh, she created this uh, profile that uh, seemed to include every facet of being truly ugly to the bone. Mean, spoiled, lazy, racist, manipulative, and willfully ignorant. Here's a sampling of some of the despicable traits of the profile that this writer uh, created. Enjoys kicking cups out of homeless people's hands. And my parents think I'm in law school, so they pay all my bills, LOL. <laughs> and uh, this one, you should message me if you are rich. So what kind of action do you think this profile of, a, of an imaginary woman generated? Would any guy out there on the internet be interested in a woman whose beauty was only skin deep, but whose ugliness went all the way to the bone? Well, the writer felt confident that no one would be interested in a woman like this. She doesn't know men very well. Uh, she was sure there was not one man out there lurking on that online dating site who would message this imaginary woman, much less want to go out with her. And she was right. There wasn't one guy out there who wanted to engage in conversation with this imaginary woman whose beauty was skin deep, but whose ugliness went all the way to the bone. Not one. There were hundreds. Speaking of the fake profile person, uh, the, the writer said, my, my, my fake profile person did very well. In the first 24 hours, she got 150 messages. Her profile was up for two or three weeks, and she had close to 1,000 men message her. So what can we take away from this little experiment? Well, one thing for sure, life at skin level is appealing to a lot of people, very appealing. And, you know, we may be put off by someone who advertises themselves as beautiful at skin level but ugly to the bone. But truth be told, most of us want what this woman with the fake profile advertised, life at skin level. And that's what the nine lepers in our Bible story wanted as well. They wanted a life that was skin deep, literally. They wanted new skin, comfortable skin. They wanted to be accepted and approved of by others. They wanted the priests of their lives, that is, all those people to whom they gave power and authority over themselves to declare them to be clean and to be acceptable to the world. You can't fault them for wanting life that was skin deep. I mean, that's really what we all want. Granted, none of us are lepers. 
we don't know what it's like to have to deal with the physical, emotional, and social torture of such a cruel disease. We don't know what it's like to be a leper in the context of life of these, that these ten lepers lived. But we are well acquainted with a different kind of leprosy, a leprosy of the soul. Its symptoms have nothing to do with our skin. Instead, they are things like these. Perfectionism, gluttony, sadness, anger, pride, boredom, gossip, the need for control or approval, fear, being judgmental, restlessness, excessive busyness, grudges, prejudice, jealousy, condemnation, indifference, and addiction. Leprosy of the soul distorts how we see and relate to God, the world, others, and even to ourselves. Leprosy of the soul keeps life at a superficial level. As long as we deal with life at skin level, seeking cleanliness or cleanness rather than wholeness, we can never really be made well. Leprosy of the soul even convinces us that the most we can hope for is a declaration of cleanness. And so we settle for being comfortable rather than being changed. We seek relief rather than wholeness. We desire something from Jesus more than we desire Jesus himself. That's life at skin level. It's where we all tend to live. It's where the lepers in the Bible story that we just heard read to us that's where they lived. Nine out of the ten lepers settle for a declaration of cleanness from the priest. But there is one who is able to go beneath the surface to see more than just his new skin. This one leper, who was a Samaritan, looks past the exterior illusions of the new skin and he sees a deeper reality and, and understands that complete healing doesn't stop at the depth of the skin. It goes all the way to the core of the soul. The kind of healing the uh, Samaritan leper received is more about the soul than it is about the skin. If he wants the healing and the wholeness that Jesus offers, he will have to turn around and go in a different direction than the other nine lepers went. And so he does. And while the other nine lepers celebrate their new skin, the one Samaritan leper celebrates the creator and the restorer of new skin. And while the nine priests, or while the nine lepers hear the priests say, you are clean, one leper hears the Son of God say, go on your way, your faith has saved you. Well, at this point, uh, a few questions come to mind, so I want to raise them and um, talk about them one at a time. Here's the first question. Why did Jesus tell the lepers to go show themselves to the priests when they were not yet healed? I mean, they're still in a leper state, and Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priest. They're still not healed yet. Second question. By the way, I'll come back to that. I just... I'm going to give an overview of the questions, then come back and 
and I'll take each, each question individually. Second question is this, what's the difference between being declared clean by the priests and being pronounced well by the Son of God? And then the third question, how do we get what Jesus gave to the Samaritan leper? Okay, those are the three questions I want to raise and answer. Here's the first one again. Why did Jesus tell the lepers to go show themselves to the priest when they were not yet healed? Well, in verses uh, 12 and 13, we see the lepers calling out to Jesus for mercy. As they entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. They lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And then the sky turns dark. Thunder and lightning boom from the sky. Jesus makes a huge swooping motion with his hands and he pronounces them all cleansed of leprosy. Is that what happens? No, that's not what happens. Uh, there, there's no fanfare whatsoever. Jesus just says, uh, go and present yourselves to the priests and they still have leprosy. It sure seems like before they would go and present themselves to the priests, they might want to uh, know for sure that they've been cleansed of that dreaded disease. Uh, but Jesus is doing something here. And uh, verse 14, uh, we, we talked about this already a couple of times. He says, go and show yourself to the priests. Now, it, that seems like a very strange thing to say. Uh, why didn't he just say, you know, be healed, or uh, you know something else that would, would indicate that uh, he was restoring good health to them. Uh, why would he tell them to go show themselves to the priest? Well, he does have his reasons. Uh, first of all, he's testing their faith. You know, when we talk about these ten lepers, we tend to separate the nine into uh, one group and then the one uh, the Samaritan leper in a, in a class by himself. And uh, in a lot of ways, they, they really do belong in two different classifications. Yet, in this sense, they all belong in the same group because they all had leprosy. They all heard Jesus say, go show yourself to the priests. And uh, they all were cleansed on their way to see the priests. So, all of these lepers are having to act on faith. They are responding to the command of Jesus to go show themselves to the priests before uh, they have been cleansed of their leprosy. And so uh, Jesus is wanting to test their faith. He wants to, I mean, their, their faith may not have been very strong, but this is a good test. Something else he's doing is he is affirming the, vi the viability of, of a Levitical law. In uh, Leviticus 13 and 14, uh, there is a uh, a, a protocol there. There's a prescribed procedure that you would have to go through if you were cleansed of leprosy, and it, it would take a cycle of at least eight days. It could be several cycles of, of eight days each in, in order to uh, confirm that leprosy uh, had been uh, healed. You know how many cases of uh, healed lepers there are in the Bible uh, before Jesus comes? You know, there's just two. Uh, there's Miriam, uh, the sister of Moses, uh, who um, was protesting Moses' leadership. And so uh, the Lord struck her with leprosy. That was his judgment upon her. And then there was Naaman, uh, the Syrian, captain of the Syrian army, uh, a foreigner, uh, 
he came to Israel and the prophet uh, told him to go dip himself in, in the Jordan River seven times and he came out cleansed and that's it. So there have been thousands of years between leprosy cleansings and so uh, the priest really didn't have uh, a whole lot of experience on pronouncing anyone clean as a result of having had leprosy and now they are cleansed of leprosy. Uh, but this is something that had to be done. So Jesus is letting it be known that he is not coming to do away with the law or the prophets. He is coming to fulfill. So when the lepers go and they are pronounced clean by the priests and they go through the rituals that are involved there and the sacrifices uh, that would be required, um, it's all according to the protocol laid down in Leviticus 13 and 14. Uh, by the way, in Luke chapter 5, uh, the first time we see Luke recording uh, the, the healing of a leper anyway, uh, he, he, he touches the man and he's cleansed. With these ten, Jesus didn't do any touching. He just said, go, go see the priest. But to the first guy, he, he touched him. And, of course, everyone would expect Jesus to get leprosy, but he doesn't. Instead, uh, cleanness goes from Jesus to this leprous man. And then Jesus says something which to us would seem very strange. He says, don't tell anybody. Uh, but he doesn't put that restriction on these ten. Well, why would Jesus tell one leper who's been cleansed not to tell anybody and uh, the other ten, he doesn't care he, if uh, the word gets out about him at all. Well, early in Jesus' ministry, uh, recorded in, in Luke 5, Jesus did not want everyone to know who he was just yet uh, because it was not yet his time to go to the cross. But now when we get to uh, Luke chapter 17, uh, the time of his sacrifice is coming pretty close. And so Jesus wants people to understand who he is. And this leads to the third reason why Jesus told the uh, lepers uh, to go and present themselves to the, the priest. What he is doing is, is when, when they have to go and present themselves to the priest and, and the priest would have to declare them uh, clean, uh, th this is really phenomenal. Because the priests, as a general rule, uh, were not big fans of Jesus. Uh, they were opposed to him. Uh, they were out and out against him. Now, later on, there were some of the priests who were becoming obedient to the faith, but for the most part, uh, the, the, the priests uh, you know, held Jesus to be an imposter. But now, when these lepers show up, what's going to happen? The, the, the priests there have to certify that they have been cleansed of their leprosy. And in so doing, they are making a statement against what's really in their hearts, but they're having to make a, a, a clear a clarion declaration that Jesus is divine. No one else could speak the word and have leprosy be remitted from ten lepers. Um, so even though the uh, priests would have been unwitting witnesses, they were witnesses nonetheless. So uh, everything Jesus does, of course, is uh, fantastic. Um, but something else that's connected with this, with them having to declare, with the priests having to declare that Jesus, you know, you know, really is divine, that He really is 
uh, the essence of God and in human form. Uh, Jesus is saying something else that these uh, priests are going to have to confirm is that these lepers are not cursed by God. All the way through the history of Israel, it was believed that if anyone had leprosy, it was because he was cursed of God. Remember in last week's story about the rich man of Lazarus. You know, Lazarus there was scraping sores, um, and the, the dog came and, and licked him. So we can look into that and, and see that he, he might have had leprosy. It's a made-up story, but uh, the description uh, would, would fit that of leprosy. And... Uh, also taking together things that were believed in, in those days that if anyone was sick uh, to this extent or if anyone was poor to the extent that Lazarus was, uh, that meant that the judgment of God rested upon him. And certainly if he had leprosy, it was confirmation that the judgment of God rested upon him. But now Jesus is having the priest declare that these men have been cleansed of their leprosy and the judgment of God does not rest on them totally upsetting their worldview and their theological perspectives. Uh, Jesus was good at that. So he was forcing the priest to confirm that he is the Son of God. Question two, what's the difference between being declared clean by the priests and being pronounced well by the Son of God? Well, it's the difference between life that is skin deep and life that springs up out of your innermost being. Jesus gave all ten lepers new skin and everything that went with that. But one of them received something far more valuable than life at skin level. He received life at the deepest level that there is. You know, Jesus healed all ten of these lepers at skin level. And that was wonderful. Ten lepers at one time. Uh, but Jesus healed one of them, just one of them at a much deeper level, at the soul level. So let's compare healing at skin level with healing at soul level by comparing the nine lepers who went merrily on their way uh, after Jesus told them to go present themselves to the priest and the Samaritan leper who got part of the way and then turned around and went back to Jesus to thank him. So nine of the ten lepers had faith in Jesus as a miracle worker. Now, they were cleansed of their leprosy. They got what they wanted from Jesus, and they went happily on their way. So these men were cleansed of their leprosy, physically speaking, but they were still spiritually sick. They still had spiritual leprosy. Only the Samaritan who returned was cured of his spiritual leprosy as well as the leprosy of his physical skin. Now, before we go on, this seems like a good place to stop and examine ourselves. Are you one of the nine, or are you more like the one who returned to give thanks to Jesus? Makes us wonder, you know, do we come to Jesus only when we have a problem that we want him to, to fix for us? When you find relief for your problem, do you praise Jesus or do you just forget about him? Is Jesus a genie in a bottle that will come to you when you are in need of something from him? You know, some people are willing to come to Jesus for the healing of their bodies, but are not quite ready to come to him for the healing of their souls. And why is that?
Well, let's look at these nine lepers. They're happy. I mean, they are really happy. And I'm pretty sure that they're feeling grateful. But why don't they go back and thank Jesus personally, like the Samaritan leper did? Uh, I think it's fairly obvious. They don't have interest in Jesus anymore. They got what they wanted from him. They're uh, pretty shallow, it seems. Very superficial. They have no desire to worship Jesus, no desire to glorify him, no desire to thank him. They don't see him as God. They don't fall down and give to him what you would only give to God. Now, we should notice that they are doing religious things. Now, they're going to the priests, and there's a bunch of rituals that they're going to have to go through. Um, but in the process of doing the religious stuff, they miss God. You know, you can do that. You can observe all the rituals, go through the motions, and still miss God. Now, the, the, the attitude of the nine, of the nine lepers uh, really is uh, representative of the attitude of most people who came to see Jesus during the course of his ministry. They really weren't looking for a savior from sin. They were looking for a political Messiah. They were looking for someone who would give them free food. They were looking for someone who would heal them of all their diseases. If that's what Jesus has to offer, they'll take it. They'll take the food, they'll take the healing, they'll take uh, all of that, but they don't want anything else. That's because they don't think they need anything else. They don't need anything else from Jesus. All they need is a little cleaning up on the outside. The inside, they are sure is perfectly clean. And uh, you know something? It, it, it seems that this is the kind of Jesus that maybe most people in the world today are interested in. They're not interested in a savior. They don't see a need for one. They're good people. They just need some help from the Lord every once in a while when they get sick or experience financial trouble or go through some kind of crisis. The mercy of Jesus just goes skin deep for them. And Jesus was disappointed. He was disappointed that only one showed up. And so he says, were there not nine? I mean, were there not ten? Where are the nine? He says this not so much to the Samaritan leper who did return, but for the sake of his disciples. He wants them to see that he is disappointed that there are people who have been cured of a, a dreaded disease and could have been cured of the most dreaded disease, of the disease of the soul, sin, but who didn't really see a, a need for that. They didn't need Jesus for that. Don't you think Jesus really wanted to heal all ten of these lepers 
of their spiritual leprosy? Don't you think he really wanted to? I want to look at verse 19 for a second here. He said to them, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. All right, on the surface, it looks like Jesus is telling this leper from Samaria that his faith is what has led to him being cured of his leprosy. But that's not really what he's saying. Uh, it's because we have the English translation here and the original language says something uh, a little differently. Um, actually, uh, I, I checked several of the essentially uh, literal translations. You know, there's essential literal translations and there are dynamic equivalents. So like Living Bible, the message, uh, that will be dynamic equivalents, just kind of a paraphrase. Essentially literal is, you know, every word is not exactly literal because then you might lose some of the meaning, but it's es essentially literal. So uh, of the essentially literal translations I checked, that the ESV, which we use here, uh, the, the New American Standard, the New International, and the King James, uh, they all missed it as far as correctly translating uh, this, this word. The, the word that Jesus used here where it says, uh, at, um, your faith has made you well. In the original language, uh, that should be translated this way. Rise and go your way, your faith has saved you. There's no quarrel over, I mean, the words aren't even close. They're, they're totally different words. So what does this really mean when Jesus says your faith has saved you? Well, we use that term a lot in church, don't we, about being saved. And when we do talk about being saved, we're really not talking about recovering from some illness. We're talking about the regeneration of the soul. We're talking about the forgiveness of sin. We're talking about new life that comes through Christ. See, Jesus was a miracle worker, and that's how he was known by most people. But what Jesus wanted to be known by more than anything else is Savior. He has come to save his people from their sins. And the sad thing is that there are plenty of people who were happy as they could be to have Jesus cleanse them of every dreaded disease, get them out of every crisis they would go through, feed their stomachs at every turn. But they didn't really see much of a need for salvation. They didn't really think it was necessary. Now this uh, takes us to our final question. How do we get what the Samaritan leper got? This is key. This is what's going to bring it all together, especially on this occasion. It's when we do what the Samaritan leper did, when we feel an obligation to be thankful to the Lord and express our thanks to him, that's how we get what the Samaritan leper got. Let's look at the verse that goes with that. As they went, they were cleansed, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. He was a Samaritan. Uh, the word uh, that's translated uh, giving him thanks there on the top line of verse 16 uh, actually is the word Eucharisteo. 
We get the word Eucharist from that. Now, we don't use the term Eucharist uh, in, in our tradition. Uh, we say Lord's Supper or Communion. In the high church, they use the word Eucharist. But the definition of the word Eucharist is this, an obligation to give thanks. Isn't that something? The leper felt Eucharisteo. He felt an obligation to give thanks. Now, when we observe the Eucharist, call it communion, call it Lord's Supper, it's all the same. Don't we feel an obligation to give thanks for what Christ has done for us? We do, don't we? That's, that's why we observe it. So uh, in just a moment, uh, we're going to transition from listening to the teaching of the Word of God to um, gathering around the table for the purpose of expressing our obligation to give thanks for what Christ has done for us. You know, when we think of Thanksgiving, we, we tend to think of it in, in this way. It, it goes in this order. Somebody does something for us, you know, in the past, and we give thanks for that something. But we learn something, we get an insight here from the, the, the story of the, the cleansing of uh, not just the, the all ten, but particularly uh, the Samaritan leper. See, when he gave thanks, uh, it was not just for what was in the past that um, made it such a wonderful thing. It was for what Thanksgiving opened up for him in the future. And what did Thanksgiving open up for him? The message of salvation. When the Lord... Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, looks at this man who is feeling an obligation to give him thanks and pronounces this status upon him. Go your way. Your faith has saved you. He heard the words of salvation from the Savior who came to make that possible all as a result of feeling an obligation to give thanks and following through with that. And so that's what I call us to here now as we transition from this time of listening to the Word of God to giving thanks for what God has done through His Word. His written Word, yes, but in particular, His incarnate Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we express to you our gratitude for what you have done for us in Christ. It's easy for us to become preoccupied with the stuff that's at skin level. And we all have something at skin level that uh, we would uh, like to be relieved of. It, it could be a physical uh, illness or uh, pain that can't really be traced to uh, a particular illness. Uh, it could be a, 
a problem. It could be a crisis. Uh, it could be any number of things. but what our soul truly yearns for is to be healed of the leprosy of the soul. This spiritual sickness that we know as sin that causes us to seek ourselves above all, that drives us away from you and that we seem or that we absolutely have no power over. So I ask, Lord, uh, that you show mercy. We're used to asking for, for mercy in the things at skin level, but in particular for things that are at the core of our souls the heart that is filled with sin that only you can remove. We ask that you have mercy on those who call out to you now for mercy to be forgiven. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.